false teachers are a constant danger in the Christian church, so all who have believed in Jesus Christ and in the biblical gospel must be on guard and utterly reject them. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Do you know someone who at one time held to a specific truth only to later turn away from that belief? Is it possible for true Christians to be deceived into believing false teachings regarding the gospel of Jesus Christ? Hello there, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom begins a new four-part series titled Wolves in Shepherd's Clothing. We'll be studying Romans chapter 16, verses 17 through 20, wherein the Apostle Paul warns that false teachers are a constant, perpetual danger in the Christian church, regardless of generation. Those who claim Jesus Christ and His gospel are to be on constant alert for those who might try to deceive the church. Well, my friend, are you prepared? Would you be able to defend the true gospel? And are you aware of some of the markers of a false teacher? Well, Tom, in our current cultural moment, being aware of false teaching and deceptive teachers might be more important than ever, wouldn't you say? It's true. We have to be so much more alert than previous generations. Of course, false teaching has been around since Satan himself in the Garden of Eden and throughout Old Testament history and throughout the New Testament era, Satan energized human beings to bring false teaching into the church and into the lives of people. That's more a problem today than ever because we live in the age of the internet. We have to be more alert, more aware, because it is so much more available to us from those who have no accountability You simply do a search and you are inundated with results that are filled with false teaching. And so our Lord's warning to us has never been more timely than it is today. Thanks, Tom. And friend, let's join our teacher right now on The Word Unleashed. I grew up in evangelical churches all through my young years. We attended Baptist churches. I attended some like-minded churches when I was in college and seminary. Then we moved, my wife and I moved to L.A. where we attended Grace Community Church for some 16 years. And then for the last 18 years, I've been here at Countryside Bible Church. And so I have belonged to solid, Bible-believing, evangelical churches. But as I think about that, I then began to make a list in my mind of the people that I know who were a part of those good churches who through the influence of false teachers have been led astray. Those who were deceived by false teachers and have been drawn away from the truth of the Scripture into error. I have personally known people in good churches like this one that have been drawn away from the truth of the gospel, the truth of Scripture, into atheism, Catholicism, Mormonism, a radical form of Messianic Judaism, very close to the New Testament Judaizers, Eastern mysticism, the prosperity gospel, antinomianism, a life that basically says 
as long as you confess Jesus, live however you want, it doesn't really matter, and theological liberalism. And folks, that's not a complete list. That's just representative of people that I know who sat in chairs like these in good Bible-believing churches who deserted the faith through the influence of false teachers. So the topic of false teachers that we consider this morning is not some tangential issue that doesn't matter. It is very much an issue that is essential to us all. We must all, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we must all take this issue deadly seriously. Now, just to remind you of the context, we're studying Paul's letter to the Romans, and specifically its conclusion, beginning in the middle of chapter 15 down through the, the end of, the ch- of chapter 16. We looked already at Paul's reasons for writing in the second half of chapter 15. Last week, we began to consider his personal greetings to friends in chapter 16, verses 1 to 24. And specifically last week, we looked at verses 1 to 16, where we saw Paul's greeting to the Roman Christians. And I don't know about you, but I was so encouraged by what we learned there, so encouraged by the reminder that Christ knows. He knows me by name, and he's aware of me and my service in this church as he's aware of you and your service. We come to a passage that isn't on the face of it as encouraging, but every bit as important, and that is a serious warning about false teachers. A serious warning about false teachers. That's the message of verses 17 to 20 that we just read a moment ago for our Scripture reading. Now, the theme of these verses is this. False teachers are a constant danger in the Christian church, so all who have believed in Jesus Christ and in the biblical gospel must be on guard and utterly reject them. Now, let me first of all make a preliminary note. Because these verses are are so unlike the closing of Paul's other letters, some have even gone so far as to suggest that they weren't originally part of this letter to the Romans. But there is no reason to reject them as authentic. There's nothing in the manuscript evidence that would suggest these verses were added. And besides that, Paul often includes warnings at the end of his epistles. Consider the book of Galatians or the letter of 1 Corinthians. Also, in verse 16, Paul just gave greetings from all the churches. Undoubtedly, as he talked about those churches that he had founded and shepherded, he was reminded of the joys in those churches, but also the threats that each of those churches had faced, and he was painfully aware that those threats would come soon to Rome. Also in verse 16, he's just encouraged us to accept one another with a holy kiss, and we discovered last time in the culture that meant receive one another warmly as you do family. But as soon as Paul says that, he's reminded that there is a legitimate reason not to receive everyone who claims to be a Christian. And so he comes to that reason here. As far as who these these false teachers are that Paul addresses in this paragraph, there are many suggestions about who they were, but the two most common ideas, one is that they were libertines, that is, They were maybe pre-Gnostic in their views, but they believed that it didn't really matter how you lived. As long as you confess Christ, 
You could go to the pagan temples. You could worship with your pagan neighbors. You could involve yourself in sexual immorality. You could do whatever you wanted. The other common view is that these false teachers were Judaizers, those who tried to marry the legalism of first century Judaism with Christ and His gospel, an incompatible blending. I'm not convinced that Paul had any specific false teachers in mind in this passage. Rather, I think it's best to see this as a kind of general warning. In this letter, he has explained the biblical gospel at length, and now as he closes the letter, he warns that wherever that biblical gospel appears, there will be false teaching. It will always have its enemies. So in these verses then, Paul gives us several important insights about false teachers. Several important insights about false teachers. Now, the first insight, and let me just warn you, this is as far as we're getting today, is the perpetual danger of false teachers. The perpetual danger of false teachers. Verse 17, now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned. When I read that, my mind immediately goes back to the Sermon on the Mount, because at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord's most famous message, Jesus warned His disciples of three dangers relating to His kingdom. Do you remember them? The end of Matthew 7. First of all, he warns us of the danger of trying to use the wrong entrance into his kingdom, the wrong gate. And there he reminds us that the only entry point that leads to eternal life is Jesus Christ and the gospel that he taught. Every other way is to destruction. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He's the narrow gate, and the gospel he taught is the narrow gate, the way to eternal life. But there are a lot of people trying to get into Jesus' kingdom using the wrong gate, the wrong entrance. The third danger, and I'm skipping one intentionally, but the third danger he highlights there in the Sermon on the Mount is making a false profession of faith. In other words, saying, Lord, Lord, I belong to you, but it not being legitimate. That's the message of Matthew 7, verse 21 through verse 27. But the second danger that Jesus highlights there at the end of the Sermon on the Mount is this, listening to false prophets. That's the message of Matthew 7, verses 15 to 20. Why? Because one of the chief ways that people enter the wrong gate and get on the wrong path and end up in destruction is when false teachers mislead them. When false teachers say, this is the way, and it's not. Jesus says, as you seek to find and enter the narrow gate, watch out. There will be those who deliberately try to lead you astray. Paul here in Romans, gives them the same warning. Look at it again. Now I urge you, brethren. You remember that's how he began chapter 12. Now I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is how he often marks a transition in subjects. The Greek word for urge here, as it does in chapter 12, has a wide range of meaning. 
In this context, it means to urge strongly, to exhort. It's somewhere between a request and a command. It's an exhortation that comes with the authority of an apostle. In other words, with the authority of God's Word, it's claiming an obedience that we are obligated to give. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on. It's an interesting word. It's actually a single Greek word that's translated keep your eye on. The word means to pay careful attention to, to look out for. The Greek word is a word you'll somewhat recognize. It's the word scopeo, scopeo. It's the word from which we get our English word scope, as in microscope and telescope. Jesus through the Apostle Paul here, says, keep your eye on as if you were looking in a microscope, as if you were looking in a telescope. Keep your eye on. In time, at times, this word can be used in the sense of watch carefully so you can follow someone. That's Philippians 3.17. Here, it's watch out for, keep your eye on so you can avoid. Both imperatives, by the way, in verse 17, keep your eye on and turn away from, are in the present tense in the Greek text. We could translate it like this, keep on watching out for and keep on avoiding. In other words, this is to be a consistent pattern of your Christian life. Now, the false teachers that Paul talks about here were probably not already in the churches in Rome because there's no hint in the letter that that's true. Rather, these were people that Paul knew were attached to the Christian community at large who claimed to be followers of Christ but were in fact false teachers. These were pastors and Christian leaders and purported missionaries. This was the very same problem our Lord identified in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 7, verse 15, Jesus says, "'Beware of the false prophets.'" Now, our Lord used a different word than Paul. Beware means to be in a state of alert, to be on guard against a danger. Like Romans, Jesus' command is in the present tense. We're to constantly be on our guard. We're to constantly stay on alert. There's never a time when this threat diminishes. Let me ask you, Christian, do you really believe that? Do you believe what our Lord said, what the Apostle Paul is saying? that you need to constantly be on your guard. You need to constantly be on the alert. You must remain vigilant. The fact that Jesus and Paul warn us to continually beware of false teachers means that this danger is very real and it is constant. False teachers are prevalent in every age and they will be a problem throughout your life on this planet. Wherever there's truth, Satan is there to promulgate a counterfeit. We see this throughout the Scripture. It begins in the Old Testament. Moses in Deuteronomy 13 and Deuteronomy 18 warns false teachers, false prophets will come. He says, be on your guard, they're coming. And of course, in the first five books of Moses, we meet the first famous false teacher. In Numbers chapters 22 to 24, we meet a man named Balaam. Balaam was a prophet for hire, willing to craft his message to accommodate the highest bidder. There was nothing Balaam wouldn't say in exchange for enough money. But you remember God thwarted his plans 
and made him prophesy a blessing on Israel and not a curse. But Balaam was really the first of a long line of false prophets in Israel throughout the Old Testament. You've read, if you've read the Old Testament all, you've read about these guys. These are the guys who prophesied peace and safety when God promised judgment. They prophesied victory when God promised defeat at the hands of their enemies. They refused to tell the people the truth. Instead, they always told the people what they wanted to hear. You come to the New Testament, you find false teachers are just as prevalent there. During the ministry of our Lord, of course, the prevailing false teachers were whom? The Pharisees and the Sadducees. Boy, Jesus had the most harsh words of his earthly ministry for these false teachers. In fact, you remember how direct he was? On Tuesday of the Passion Week, Jesus is on the Temple Mount, that massive 35-acre gathering area. He's teaching a large crowd. The scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees are there listening, and he pronounces against them them in Matthew 23 a series of seven woes. Here's one of them. This is Matthew 23, verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Hmm. The Apostle Paul regularly dealt with false teachers. In Corinth, there were false apostles. In Colossae, there were the ascetics, you remember, who said, you can't do this, and you need to do this, and you can't participate in that. You can't touch that. In Thessalonica... The false teachers prompted Paul to urge believers to test all prophecies against Scripture before they accepted them because there were so many that were in error. In Ephesus, Hymenaeus and Alexander tried to undermine the biblical gospel and the ministry of Timothy, according to 1 Timothy 1. There were always, in Paul's ministry, the Judaizers lurking around the dark corners of the church peddling their works-based righteousness. And then there's Peter. Peter, in his second letter, warns against false teachers. Jude, the half-brother of our Lord, wrote his entire New Testament letter about the danger of false teachers. And even in the mid-90s A.D., at the end of the age of the apostles, there were still false teachers. 1 John 4, 1, many false prophets have gone out into the world. 2 John 7, many deceivers have gone out into the world. And when John, the apostle, the last living apostle, wrote the last book in our New Testament, the book of Revelation, there were were false teachers in several of the seven churches in Asia Minor. We'll see one of them tonight, Lord willing. And Paul warns us that throughout the church age in which we live, Evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. And if we can fast forward to the end of the church age, we come to the very end, guess what? There'll still be false teachers. In fact, our Lord says in Matthew 24, 11, in the Olivet Discourse, many false prophets will arise. Now, why did I trek you through all that history? It's to tell you that Jesus and Paul's warnings about false teachers are absolutely as crucial today in the 21st century as they were then. Do you understand there are so many false teachers today? 
Paul insists that we stay alert for this constant danger. Now, why are false teachers such a danger? It's because they look like genuine believers and true shepherds. You see, most false teachers don't look like false teachers. I say most because, frankly, some of them do. I mean, I turn on the television and I watch some guys and it's like, how could any intelligent person listen to this and think this guy is not a shyster? I don't understand. But there are some that are good. They're slick at what they do. They're sophisticated in their methods. They are somewhat convincing. If you don't know the Scripture well enough, they, they peddle the, they, the Scripture in such a way and distort it in such a way that it can sound convincing to the uninformed. So false teachers, most of them don't come with wolf tattooed on their foreheads. Not a bad idea, but that doesn't happen. Outwardly, they behave spiritually and speak piously. They try to pass themselves off as one of us. In fact, look at 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 13, Paul's talking about. Now remember, folks, this is a church the apostle Paul founded. And he's writing them a letter not that far removed from having been there. And guess what? They're false teachers in this church. In fact, they're claiming to be apostles. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers. Notice this, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. None of those people in Corinth were saying, I'm a false apostle, I'm a wolf. No, they're saying, just like Paul, I'm an apostle. Paul says, don't be surprised, verse 14, no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Their master does that. Verse 15, therefore, it is not surprising if, notice this, this is who false teachers are, his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds. I've mentioned it several times, but turn with me. I want you to see it. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord says this in verse 15, beware of the false prophets. And then notice how he describes them, who come to you in sheep's clothing. By the way, notice you don't have to go looking for false teachers. They come to you. They find you. And notice they come in sheep's clothing. Like the wolf in, Aes in Aesop's fable, they, they try to look like sheep. They disguise their true nature. They want us to believe they're our Christian brothers. One author puts it this way, a false teacher does not announce and advertise himself as a purveyor of lies. On the contrary, he claims to be a teacher of the truth. Not only does he feign piety, but he often uses the language of historic orthodoxy in order to win acceptance from the gullible while meaning by it something quite different, something destructive of the very truth he pretends to hold. Pause button. That's very important for you to understand. A lot of false teachers will use the same language that is true of evangelicalism, of orthodoxy, but they mean something entirely different. They twist its meaning. You have to be so alert, so aware. He goes on to say, we must not be dazzled by a person's outward clothing, his charm, learning, doctorates, and ecclesiastical honors. You see, the real danger with false teachers is they come in disguise. 
They present themselves as real sheep and genuine shepherds. But Jesus here reveals their true nature. Look again at verse 15. But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. Outwardly, they look like real sheep, but inwardly, they're wolves. In other words, they're not real sheep. They're not real Christians at all. And they're not real shepherds. They're predators. Matthew Henry writes, Every hypocrite is a goat in sheep's clothing. But a false prophet is a wolf in sheep's clothing. That's Tom Pennington on The Word Unleashed with part one of a series titled Wolves in Shepherd's Clothing. Tom will have part two for you on our next program, and we hope you'll join us then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory explaining God's truth.